This is The Analysis, a weekly examination of the culture in light of truth. I'm Deanna Huff. And I'm Mark DeMoss. Join us as we investigate and analyze the environment of the world where we live. We will be shedding the light of God's Word on the issues. And responding as Christians to influence followers of Jesus Christ to share the gospel with those around them. So Deanna, this week in uh, listening to and reading one of the sources that I go to regularly on uh, cultural issues and biblical issues, uh, which is the briefing by Al Mohler, uh, listening to that this week, he was relating uh, an article that came out of the London Financial Times uh, where the editor of that uh, magazine or news journal really uh, which is maybe not well known to a lot of people here, but it's a major player, especially in the financial world. It's a major international n- newspaper. It's broadly w- read, well read, well respected uh, for its uh, work and writing. The uh, editor of that had visited America and went to uh, Lakewood Church in Houston, the church where Joel Osteen is the pastor. That's what it's most known for. Uh, and he he just attended there because it's I mean it's this massive thing in America, and so and and he's a financial editor and he sees the the financial machine that a church of that size would be and and the speaking engagements and the book writing of its pastor so there's this huge financial market and so kind of out of his financial interest as well as just kind of cultural interest he attended. Uh, and he's not an evangelical claiming Christian, and he didn't go there to try to see if Joel Osteen is is on the right path or off the right path or try to refute him in some way. He just went there and took the opportunity to get to sit down with Joel Osteen and talk to him and ask him questions. And the interesting thing about the article to me is the fact that here is just an observer, and he's approaching this as just a journalist yet he's asking the questions of, I know what Orthodox Christianity has taught for many, many years. That seems absent from your theology and, and the mainstay of your teaching. How do you put those together? How, how, are you, how are you doing this and claiming to be in this world but being so different than what we would normally think of as Christianity? And I know that people listening are going to already kind of maybe react to even that. But that's what he's doing. He's asking those questions. Al Mohler just is taking that article and going, let's see what we find here. And what we find there is a great difference than the true gospel. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was listening to it the other day as well. And some of the questions that get asked to Olstein by this particular person who's doing this interview and this article write-up, he, he asked him about the gospel itself you know why is it that it seems like sin or things that seem to shame a person or or guilt maybe i should replace that with things that would make a person feel guilty why do those seem to be removed from your congregation and he makes this statement that you know he doesn't want people in the congregation coming to feel bad yeah and it's intriguing when you think about it because you you have to think about who is Jesus and why did he come and one of the things that I think is really important for a Christian is to say what is the message of the gospel Mm -hmm. 
And so who who is he? He's God in the flesh. Why did he come? He's standing before Pilate and he says, I came to testify to the truth. Yeah. Well, what is the truth? Why does that matter for me? And is it really okay to be, be just going along with this message that we're hearing from Osteen? I mean, is that okay? We have to discern and, and make decisions. I think one of the problems is that it's not the gospel. Yeah. So what is the gospel? And when I, when I think about that, I think about four things. I think about God, mm-hmm. man, sin, and restoration. Yeah. And so what is going on in the world? Uh, why, why are all these things happening? Because sin is in the world. What's going to fix that problem? Jesus Christ came to die. He is deity, death, and resurrection, affirmed that he is God in the flesh and that he can make the payment for our sin in our life. Mm-hmm. And that means eternally I'm going to get to live with him and there's going to be no more suffering, no more pain, no more fear. But in this life, he says in John sixteen thirty three, in this life you will have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Yeah. So the gospel is that we might recognize that we're a sinner in need of a Savior, have redemption and be restored to him. Yeah, yeah. The It's interesting because he talks about not wanting people to feel bad, so give a positive message. Uh, the gospel necessitates that we recognize our sin, and there ought to be guilt and shame with that. The gospel doesn't want you to feel bad either. In fact, the gospel is proclaiming to you good news, but the good news that the sin and guilt is taken away, not just somehow hide it or overcome it or cover it, but that it gets dealt with. That's what allows you to feel better. You you talked about in in our preparation time, uh, Psalm 32, and how it talks about uh, the psalmist is saying he was in anguish all night long in his bed, and then he confessed his sin to the Lord and felt the release and the forgiveness. And so um, Osteen was saying, I don't want people going to bed feeling bad. I want you to sleep through the night. <laughs> the psalmist said, until until I awoke to my sin and confessed it, I was in anguish. That's a good thing. Feeling our guilt and shame of our sin is supposed to drive us to the gospel. And so if you're trying to somehow keep people from ever feeling the press of their sin, how are you ever going to get to the good news of the gospel? Yeah, and it's so good because that once we've confessed our sin, right? Once we've confessed our sin and we, we've made right our relationship with God, what does it say? There's no condemnation right. in Christ. There is no condemnation. That is the old, we're renewing our mind. This is a new person. But in this life, we're not going to fully be satisfied except in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the points with Olstein and and others who would teach a prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. meaning there's prosperity in this life. Yeah. Well, there's peace in Christ in this life, right. but he's not. He Christ never in the New Testament says anything about treasures in this world. In fact, he talks about storing up treasures in heaven. Right. And he's not talking about physical things. He's saying, listen, a lot of this stuff is going to burn up, yeah. but anything that won't burn up, that's what's eternal. And the Psalms, you know, you were talking about Psalm 32. And, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, God's word and in the Psalms, it says, 
Though my heart and flesh may fail, the nearness of God is my delight. And what it seems like is that he's saying, listen, I want you to feel good. I want you to be happy. I want you to go out in this world and make make this day great. Be an optimist. See the sun coming up. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I like to always try to think about is, is what they're saying true here in America and true in the Middle East and true yeah. in Africa and true? This has to right. be a truth. And if it can't be true everywhere, yeah. then it makes me question, is it true anywhere? The satisfaction has to come from being satisfied in who Christ is. We're delighting and we're recognizing that he is the author and maker. And he is the one who gives us peace, hope, comfort. And those are the things that people are looking for. When they go to church in the morning, they're going, I need, I need hope. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is hope. Yeah. And if we neglect giving people that, we're neglecting giving them a fullness of what hope really is. Yeah, yeah. They're driving the hope being back into yourself, which is the, uh, um, it's turning the gospel upside down. Um, I, I think in, in the, uh, article it references the fact that uh, the the author of the article quotes Osteen as saying uh, God loves you if he had a refrigerator your picture would be on it if if he had a computer you'd be the screensaver well that I, I think about Galatians where Paul says I can't believe how quickly you've abandoned the gospel uh, and I think that's one of the things that that kind of really concerns me in thinking about the whole prosperity gospel. Our 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 Christian television, our Christian radio, our Christian bookstores are full of people authoring with that mentality, and so we we are pumping uh, a a false gospel in mixed in with the true gospel, mm-hmm. and. Um, the illustration that I heard early in my ministry from a, a, a pastor that was popular among teen conferences, and of course I started in, in student ministry, but he was using the illustration of wanting to stay to the truth, and he, he used the illustration of, of a watch, and he, he said, if truth is straight up 12 o'clock, that's where truth lies. Satan doesn't want to come in and be 6 o'clock. He comes in and he's 11.59. Or he's twelve oh one. He's right next to the truth. And up close, it kind of when you're looking at a, at a watch in that regard, the, the minute hand is so close to the next minute. It's just right there. It just seems like you would even say, "Well, yeah, it's twelve o'clock when it's eleven fifty nine." Yeah. You know? But he said, if you take those lines and then just begin to draw them out in straight lines from that point, you find over time you're further and further and further from the truth and that's what satan does he he disguises himself as an angel of light he doesn't come in to be way opposite and so i just feel the sense of the prosperity gospel it's not a it's not a change of programs or the way you approach the church or christianity it's flipping it upside down and it it sounds and feels and looks so right that it's close but it really is a whole other gospel. That's the language of Galatians. It's a whole other gospel. 
And the gospel is not about, you're talking about why did Jesus come? The gospel is not about, Jesus didn't come for us. He came to bring glory to the Father. The Father sent him so that the Son would be glorified. The Holy Spirit lives in us so that that Jesus Christ is glorified on the whole earth. And the gospel is about him. And they're taking the gospel, making it about you. Yeah, it's interesting, too, that all throughout history, even when you look back at Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, you look back at this time period, and you see the same questions trying to be answered. What, What is it that's going to make a person good, right, happy? What is it about this happiness? What is going to make this person to be joyful? And it seems like the prosperity gospel is saying, hey, listen, if we say all these things and we just help them to feel encouraged, if they feel encouraged when they leave, then that's going to be long lasting. But the reality Mm -hmm. is that's not true. And we see that from the very first pages, pages of scripture when we see... Cain and Abel, right? What Cain's walking around, he's all downcast, he's sad. And the Lord looks at him and says what? Don't you know that if you do what is right, your countenance will be lifted? Yeah. And, and what does he do? He goes out and kills his brother. Yeah. Right? So the complete opposite of what is right. Yeah. And yeah. so the, the right thing is that we look at God, and this is what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. He says, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to look like Christ is so interesting because in the book Making Sense of God by Timothy Keller, this is what he says about Christ. And I love this, and, and forgive me for the many words that it is but it's worth the Mm -hmm. listen he says this that is in him meaning christ we see qualities and virtues we would ordinarily consider incompatible in the same person we would never think they could be combined but they are jesus combines high majesty with great humility the strongest commitment to justice with astonishing mercy And grace, he reveals a transcendent self-sufficiency and yet an entire trust and reliance on the Heavenly Father. Mm. We are surprised to see tenderness without weakness, boldness without harshness, humility without any uncertainty, indeed accompanied by a towering confidence. So you you see this picture of Christ, God in the flesh, and he is bathed in love. Mm-hmm. He's bathed in truth. He's, he's bathed in integrity. Mm-hmm. And that's who we want to point people to so that in him they can have peace. They yeah. can have hope. They can have comfort. And they can have, for what Jesus says, the kingdom if, is here. Yeah. You know, he was here. He is here in, in the Holy Spirit living in the church and is to come. Yeah. But for a while, they're still going to be suffering. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of the power of just kind of dismantling the concept of the prosperity gospel. And, and, and you referenced it earlier. If it's not true in every context, at every time period, it can't be a truth. And America has perpetrated this false gospel and we're shipping it out all over the world and we're taking it to places where where do you find prosperity in the the devastation of of villages in Haiti 
where do you where do you find prosperity yeah. uh, Mozambique today devastation uh, from natural disaster uh, wh- where do you find where wh- how do you bring a prosperity gospel to a, a people that will never have or never own or never possess great things great wealth and so uh, in the midst of suffering what what are you left with the prosperity gospel and and that's other places devastating in our own lives how many ultra wealthy people are living in loneliness yes sorrow suffering they would trade all the money they have to have a deep meaningful relationship or to see their spouse healed of cancer or you know uh whatever i mean they would they would trade all the stuff to get a sense of peace and that's what the gospel is offering is in the in the already not yet state of christianity there can be peace in the midst of our suffering and there is reward to come but it's the the rewards we'll receive there the scripture says we'll lay at his feet because we know they came through his suffering on our behalf and so uh, we we want to uh, just hopefully cause you to think about uh, the danger of the prosperity gospel and and prosperity preachers and and there there's plenty and we could name lots of names not trying to pick on one in particular person but he's risen to the pinnacle mm-hmm. and so uh, everybody kind of looks to that and again this was our conversation started with an article written by a third party observer just going I don't know that I get it what's going on here and uh, I, I hope people examine the differences be Berean Christians look at the truth, look at the scriptures, and weigh everything there, not by their feelings, but by actual truth. Thanks for listening. Being a God-centered, Bible-teaching church this Lord's Day.